okay, there's not a what then at there at that point. Like you don't have to know. Don't waste your time. I mean, it's okay to have a big landscape goal, like a, a moonshot and all that, but get to the end of the five, man, because you're going to be a whole different person and change your mind anyway. There's enough work right there. Just get to the end of the five years. Stand at the edge of a pier. It looks like a big horizon. And then look around and congratulate yourself. Thank God I'm here. <laughs> That's how that. it works. Very- Welcome to the Career Success Coach Podcast. If you're an accomplished professional, ready to attract ideal opportunities, level up your career growth, and create a powerful presence in your industry, you're in the right space. I'm your host, Sarah Macris, and I'm passionate about helping executives and business professionals become visible in their space, establish themselves as a leading authority, and create their dream opportunities. Let's get started. Hi, and welcome to the Career Success Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Macris, and today I have a fabulous guest, John Sephoric who is the author of the book, The Wealthy Gardener, Lessons on Prosperity Between Father and Son. John Sephoric is an everyday self-made millionaire who advocates an intentional lifestyle so people can reach their financial and life goals. His $20,000 monthly passive income was built on what he calls impact hours. He wrote a book on the topic as a legacy for his son and it became an Amazon bestseller and hit number 46 on Audible. The Wealthy Gardener is about timeless principles to empower everyday people to get more impact from their days. Impact hours are like cement blocks that form the foundation of all success. If you haven't read the book, The Wealthy Gardener, I really encourage you to. It's a wonderful book. I personally come back to it often and I've recommended it to loads of people. So I hope you enjoy this episode and enjoy the book. Welcome, John. Thank you very much, Sarah. And uh, your clients should know you're a great pitcher because <laughs> you came on and I really appreciate you taking the time to give me your time. It's an honor. Let's start at the beginning. After listening to the audiobook, I then had to have the book and I had to buy my brother a book and then I had to tell all my friends about it. So let's start with why did you write the book in the first place? Well, see, that was the goal. The trap was that I had to write something that would have um, word of mouth referrals to it because I was just a single guy, first time ever writing a book. And so I don't have any, have any uh, powerhouses behind me, right? So how did I start? I was 50 years old. I had achieved my financial goals. It was a struggle, but it was a fun struggle all the way up to do that. I started at the bottom and I worked my way to the point of 50 and I wrote the book at a time when I had retired and my son was just in college getting ready to enter that same world that can be either cruel or kind based on how you operate and execute in that world. And so I felt an obligation as a father. I felt just given my starting point, kind of pass the baton to him with the lessons I learned on building wealth. And then he can then go through the same struggles, go through the same issues in life, at least with my understanding of things. He could start from where I left off. And so I just kind of handed him that baton. Point of the book was my son, point blank. This was mm. not going to be published. It was between oh. he and I. That's amazing. So how did that happen then? How did you go from sort of giving it to your son? And I suppose that's fascinating in itself because so often, you know, we have when I have children and lots of my clients have children and, you know, the last thing they want to hear is mum and dad's thoughts. Ah. <laughs> Absolutely. So I'm fascinated by how that came about. Well, on this podcast, I admit to the, I will tell you the full truth and whether it makes me look good or bad. As a parent, 
I said that there's no way I can approach this realistically and say to my son, hey, I'd like to write all of my lessons down for you and you're going to digest this over the course of a few years. That's not the pitch that's going to work to a teenager. And so the pitch I used, you might say is slightly deceiving, but man, it was good. It was beautiful. The process we went into working together, I'm really thinking about writing this book. We've always had heart-to-heart conversations about ideas. How about this? I would really like for you to be my first editor. Let's just take it right there. We don't, it's not a commitment. Let's just try one. And then we're going to try another chapter and see where it goes. And so that is very real how that happened. He was at college. I sent him a chapter. He would come back. He would question some things, argue with some things. And, you know, we have these little four, five page chapters, tight, 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 tight. And he would come back and no wasted words. We always call it real estate in a book. No wasted words, really concise, really tight. And he kept me on my game, I'll tell you. Uh, he really did. But he was a contributor. It wasn't just a one-way thing. It wasn't a dad preaching, not at all. No, yeah. that didn't work. That was yeah. me. And we threw a lot of fiction in there that helped uh, to tell stories. I wanted to give him the experience of what I went through. So it was half fiction, half nonfiction. And that's how I got my son sucked into this whole thing. Wow. He must be very proud. Because it's a big process writing a book, isn't it? I mean, it's not like... You know, I know. I'm, I'm you know, it depends. I, it's a big process for me. I can tell you that. Yeah. I can tell you that it took me three years full time. You know, a lot of times people say that you're writing a book and you, you they put in four, three years. Well, we write in our margins. Like I look at you and you have two kids. You have a career. You're in that phase of life. I wasn't. I was beyond that. Okay, I was full timer. So, like when you write a book and you're in that work mode of life, maybe you're writing five hours a week. I'm writing five hours before noon every day. <laughs> Yeah. That's how hard it was for me. So maybe I'm just dumb. I don't know, but it took me that long to get through it and edit it and go, ah. Oh, but that's, yeah. that's how it happened. Yeah. It is such a process. And one of the things that I love about the book, for me, having read Think and Grow Rich many, many times, it was almost like it had a lot of those same principles, but made in such a practical way, written in such a practical way, in such an interesting way. For me, I would prefer to read your book. 10 times than Think and Grow Rich 10 times. It's the greatest honor of my life to hear you say that because that book was fundamental to me. It was a turning point in my life. And so if you see things reflected from that book, Think and Grow Rich, it was pivotal. I was coming from a family where my parents, they bought a half trailer when they started. Okay, I'm a coal mining area. We're happy. We're good. We had a fantastic childhood. We didn't know we weren't rich. But that book expanded my mind a lot. Absolutely, it did. I worship... Napoleon Hill. At the same time, I did see that it wasn't just about thinking and growing rich. There's a lot to it. In addition, I mean, you won't get anywhere without the thinking and growing rich. That's the start, right? But you know, you and I both know, and I'm, it sounds like you have an intelligent group of listeners here. We all know it's not going to just be about thinking and growing rich. And he didn't exactly say that. That wasn't a cute title to his book. But there was things left unsaid in that book that I needed my son to understand, and I put them in mind. And not just Napoleon Hill. I stood on everybody's shoulders. We should be able to write better books than the generation yes. ahead of us because we can stand on their shoulders. You know, thank God for their contribution. It elevates our own if we take the lessons down. So, well, it came yeah. at the right time because I was really looking for that next. You know, I sort of felt like I'd exhausted thinking grow rich, even though I know that you can never do that. But it, it was pretty powerful. And I think the other thing that I love about your book was that. Talk about a lot about the how. And for so many of us, we get so busy. And particularly, I know 
one of the challenges for my clients is they get so busy doing the job, the, the focusing on that and finding that those bits of time to sort of move the needle on their goals can be really challenging. And that's what you sort of take that, that a little bit further and explain how to get that done. Because I walked up that mountain. You know, I think people sometimes will, I, one of my frustrations is I wrote a book and people will say, wow, look at how successful his life was or something. No, 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 no. It's a mountain climb for me too. You know, and it's like, I was there. I, I remember having this little, I have sayings everywhere. I always say I'm so dumb. I can't remember things. So I put quotes all over my walls everywhere. I'm so busy doing small things. I have no time for anything big and something like that. Right. It came off a lot better than that, but. That Yeah, we all get that. And I would say that to anybody feeling that frustration, uh, that's what's good about you. The, the frustration is your caring, is your wanting, is your ambition. And that's one of the things I wanted to stand up for too in this whole thing. You know, the fact that you're busy, you have a family, I mean, it's a virtuous life. Okay. Mm -hmm. You're being very, very responsible. And the fact that you're discontented, that's not, that's not a reflection of something wrong with you. I wanted to stand up for ambition. It's something that's right with you. Discontentment is constructive. It can be used. We really have to balance that with appreciating what we do have, but not that withstanding. It's a darn good thing to have ambition. And if you're not a little startup is one of the Emerson quotes in the books. If you're not slightly unsettled, there is no hope for you. I say that is true too. Yeah. And frustration that you don't have time. Yeah, that's we can figure that out. Especially if we put our head on goals and we visualize yes. and we do, we do what's in Napoleon Hill's book. Yeah. Now we all read that book, but who puts your eyes on goals? Who does the affirmations every day? Who does the what he'll call the auto-suggestion, which is like a hypnosis? Who does that every day? Now that's what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, it's no, the I small totally things agree. done daily. Yes. And often the things that we need to do are the things we resist, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and they're not that hard. It's just sometimes that they're easy to forget. I say that a lot. I, so many things that are easy, the fundamentals, some of the success principles you and I will talk about. I'm sure you coach your clients hell with this. You're not asking people to dig a ditch or a coal mine. There's no sweat coming off your forehead here. It's sometimes it's just having a list of remembering to do these little things like, okay, do you put your eyes daily on your goals? It's not that much. Do you read 10 pages daily? It's not that much. All we're talking about is cutting out a little TV time here. Yes. Come on. So it's just a little bit of that. Like, so you, there's a, in my book, a term of, you know, I'm talking to you because you did read the book and I value that so much that you're indoctrinated. You know, there's a chapter on the sacred effort and that's not my term again. It comes from another person, but there's a lot of sacred no's before a sacred effort or involved in a sacred effort. That's a term too that, uh, sacred no's like, good things that I had this myself. And I want to say that I'm not preaching. I'm, I'm telling you that this is my struggle. I had this little quote on the wall about, I can't, I have no time for big things. And so, okay, John, you can't have it all. Well, I felt that way too, of course. So now what? Well, I really liked playing basketball. I loved it. I, it gave me a sense of importance because I was a good basketball player. Well, guess what's not contributing toward my goal? <laughs> it's the basketball. Darn it. Okay. Let's cut that out to make some time here. Let's cut out the golf over here with these guys over here. Let's cut out all TV. I did that. People say, ah, I would say that's a lot easier than you think that uh, the, the TV time is, uh, we think that that's needed. And once we stop doing it, we find out that that's just a drug we never needed, never gave us happiness to begin with. You yes. know, we'll find a lot more totally fulfillment in that. using those hours, right? So, yeah. So you gave up a few other things too, didn't you? Like, I mean, obviously you golf. What did I'm a terrible golfer, but I, you know, there's camaraderie on a golf course. Yeah. So, so there's the sacrifice of that. You want to have 25 more hours in your week. Don't watch TV and don't golf if you're a guy in my area. Yeah. 
That's amazing. Amazing what you can do with 25 hours. I turned them into triathlons and I turned them into wealth building and I got what I want. It's like, thank God I sacrificed golf and TV. So, yeah. <laughs> so how long was that? Did you make that decision? For me, uh, Sarah, I think that by the time I reached 30 is when I started to f- get the feeling that, okay, all the optimism in the world there's is just not doing it anymore for me because, okay, I experienced a whole decade now, maybe like those 20s where you know, family, kids adjusting into life. Like that was real businesses we had. I was a chiropractor at that time. Mm. You could see at 30, there was just something really not sexy about, about just struggling and going nowhere. And, uh, you know, having a family, seeing that they're going to be growing up. You certainly don't want them burdened by the uh, student debt. Like I was under a dark cloud there. Yeah. And you start to see the, the finite amount of time ahead of you. Yeah. I could work till I'm 90, maybe. I mean, but that doesn't make you, you know, so now what? I would say that at 30, that was not a fun year to me. When I crossed 30, (laughs) I wasn't celebrating. I was like, oh man, I thought I'd be so much better off by now. You know, to be honest with you, I kind of feel like I'm letting my wife down, my my son, my daughter, they're, uh, they're heading, they're, they're going to go to school. I mean, I'm, and I'm just strapped, man. We're going on vacation. I'm worried about money. Yeah. Uh, That's no way to live. And that's how I felt right to 30. So 30, I think that was my elevator to the basement where I said, okay, I'm, I'm just not happy. I'm not fulfilled here. And sometimes that's good. I mean, thank God it didn't beat that out of me. And I just didn't conform to society in the twenties. I could have done that, you know, I got a tail wagon dog. I have a tail wagon dog, but I could have, I could have just never had anything that was bigger or matched the potential within you. You know, I think that's sometimes what people feel like you and the people that you talk to there. Are you living up to your potential? And if you, you know, if you really close your eyes, you're probably not. And that's where I was when I was 30. Turned it around with time, sure. That's amazing. And this quote that you have that I wrote down before, actually, our ambition is the call of our fullest potential. And I think that there's just so many quotes. And if you haven't been to John's website, you have to go because you could literally just devour it all. So that one's really powerful. And I find for my audience, freedom, where you talk a lot about you know financial freedom, and obviously that's incredibly important. And I talk a lot about professional freedom. And I know they're very much linked, um, but the way I sort of describe it to my audience is very much around, you know, being in control of your career, being in control of your future, being able to be in demand, not having to negotiate a salary, being able to choose the job you want, you know, because you've built yourself a profile in the market where you're actually able to be in control. And there's a lot of parallels there with what you talk about. 100% Sarah. What can you do? The question is, I mean, we all want that. So what can you do? Yeah. I'll tell you one thing. You don't have the power to walk away from a job unless you have a little bit of money in the bank. Yes. Also, you can build skills. There's always ability. We, we're such adaptable. We, whatever we put our minds to, anybody listening here could run a marathon. It's just whatever you give your time to. I'm only saying that to, to point out that what's impossible today can just, it's just skill building, what you're talking about. I have... Uh, continually used myself. The only way I could have professional freedom is what you said. I was a chiropractor. I could have stayed within that clinic. Okay. Like all of my peers did, they just try to stay within the clinic and they would try to earn more money there and maybe lengthen their hours there. And sometimes we have to sit down and have a strategy session with, with a career coach, right? Because that, I didn't do that. I have a in my book, you probably saw a, a very pivotal story about a, a coach in my life, about my career. But 
in this case, what I needed to do was build an income outside of chiropractic because in the United States, it was a shrinking profession. There was, I was making less money every year because of insurance reimbursement. We were being, yes. we were being paid less and less and less. And so the strategy of work more and more and more, yeah, you, I could have done that. You did make more money, but it was leading nowhere. So I decided to work more and more and more outside the walls of my practice, right? So how does that work? Well, you build skills, you build knowledge, you build exactly what you're talking about. That gave me professional freedom. And when I say financial freedom, yeah, we do preach about it. It's a wealth book. But what you really want is just freedom. I mean, yeah. it could be, what's the what then? Okay, go retire. Now what? Guess what? You're still looking for something to do. We could just skip the whole wealth thing and go right into what you can do. That's an option. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, you're writing your book. What was your sort of like, this is how I'd like my day to look when I don't have to worry about all of that stuff? I sometimes look back and I didn't have that what then figured out completely. The what then after I was done. Sometimes we're motivated by what we want to do and sometimes we're motivated by what we don't want. And what I no longer wanted uh, for sure, I was motivated for sure about not having to think about money. It's kind of an ironic thing coming from a wealth guy a wealth book like this, The Wealthy Gardener, all I wanted to do was breathe and take vacations, you know, simple ones without thinking about money. Yeah. I'm so sick of thinking about money all the time. It can suffocate you and it can exhaust you. All I wanted to is, <laughs> let's get back to it without the money on the board. Now we'll yes. figure it out. And so that was goal number one. And goal number two was having the family. No question about it. People will say, well, I don't want to work hard because you know, that too much imbalance because I have a family. And I said, well, that's exactly why I did work hard is because I had a family. I, I sacrificed some of the things in my own life. I could have had a better joy trip at times. Yeah. Uh, but there were some Saturdays I worked when the sun was out because for only the only reason that, that I had a couple of kids. Yeah. And some people say, you know, oh, yeah, you're so right. Like where and where do you put your effort. And I think I've heard you say before that you can either use your time or spend your time. Can you expand on that? 100%. It comes down to the sacred no again, uh, sir. I mean, uh, you'll hear me. What, what nobody wants to hear is that I uh, say, I cut out entertainment. There is nothing more passive in this world than sitting in front of a TV. I don't care how much you like it. It's passive. You're not participating. John, I'm not talking to your audience. John, I'm talking to me. John, <laughs> you're not right, participating in life if you're watching that TV. Just turn the darn thing off and look at a black screen because that's the true use of your time. Actually, mm -hmm. it might be better for you to turn yeah. the screen off. Now you'll have time, but you have that vacuum will fill up, but you need time. I just believe in a real hard no a lot of times, maybe a soft no when people ask you to do things. Uh, I can't do that. You know? Well, and that's a hard thing to get your head around, being able to say no. If Even you can't say no, sir, you're just going to have other people being in charge of your life. That's all. If you can't say no, you can't have time for those big things. Uh, and you gave up alcohol as well, didn't you? I absolutely did. And, you know, coming from where I was coming from, that, that was saying no to a lot of people in my yes. area. I don't know a thing about Australia, but we have the image oh. that Australians drink a lot, right? <laughs> yes, that would be correct. <laughs> so I haven't been there yet. But yeah. I always say that I'm, keep in mind, like I, you can listen to me when it comes to drinking because I was once the social coordinator of my fraternity. So oh, that's a really right. high level of alcohol in our area. I was the most brainless kid from the age of 17 to 23 you'll ever meet. And hooray, you know, the ship was over, but I got that hair out of my, you know what? And I, and I graduated. But then I can say in speaking of what, you know, that topic was about in college, it's all about fun. 
And the reason I quit is because I had two kids and they were questioning, Dad, what are you drinking that for? I mean, if I had to tell them the truth, I'd say, well, I'll tell you what, your dad's just too small for this problem right now. I'd like a little distance from it. I wouldn't have a little, I have no problem having a little delusion tonight, guys. What I'm after is not the taste of this beer, although everybody will tell you it's the taste of the alcohol. Yeah. I'm taking the buzz. I'm here for that. And so I hear all the excuses in the world. I don't care. I, all I know is uh, what I believed for me was, is in my 20s. I'm not a DUI guy. I didn't get any, uh, there's no low bottoms here like that at all. I lived a really responsible life like everybody else does. But I felt like I started using a drink or two at night. It's a really se- a socially acceptable way f- for a person to come home, unwind, have a drink, get a little a buzz on and go to bed. Wait a minute. Am I, am I using this like an antidepressant? I'm using it. That, yeah. You talk about, now. if you, then you go to a party, well, everybody's having a drink. Oh, I'm going to have a drink. You go out to eat. Everybody's having a drink. I'm going to have a drink. Like, wait a minute. Where does this chain of drinks stop? It's like, so for me, I can tell you this, that it was important for me when my kids were growing up to see them saying, you know what? Their dad's facing his problems. He's chasing the stress away that would cause other people to drink. Yeah. That's how I wanted to live my life. And so- for better or not, I mean, it really gave me an advantage. I would tell you, you know, it was like 90% of the people drink in this country over here. It just sharpens your edge. You have more energy. I did triathlons. That's outside of it. That's health. I did a lot of things after I stopped that occasional drink. And again, you wanted to talk about wasting time. I wasn't going to get into it with you whenever you talked about wasting time. You'll wake up tired every day. A couple of drinks of wine. So, so true. TV, entertainment. Alcohol, sacred nose. That's just how I had to do it. That you can't have it all. And that really got me when I heard that. I was like, wow, that's so true. And I've always been a big believer in the no TV thing. I mean, occasionally I get sucked down on the vortex and think, oh, yeah, that's a great show. Normally <laughs> I'll do it on a plane. <laughs> but even then I know I'm wasting my time. But I'm always not a fan of um, of TV. I mean, I, who doesn't want to sit on the couch? But for me it's always been like, oh, no, I have to be doing something a bit more productive, which serves me well. <laughs> It certainly does. And quite frankly, I tell you what, I, I, I do believe that you're, like, you're either using your time, you're talking about using your time, the quote before, or you're not using your potential. Uh, that's the truth of it all. Do you really want to live a passive life or a participating life? Uh, I'm all for TV. When you're so brain dead, you need to escape and you're going to sit there like with your tongue hanging out and <laughs> okay, whatever. But you know, you can still do a 40 hour a week plus another 25 and still have a good 50 hours left for your tongue hanging out. Yeah. Okay. You, <laughs> so, a lot of non-thinking true. hours. Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. miss out. What's your, um, like, so the stories, you know, you've got some fabulous characters, Jimmy, Jared the wealthy gardener obviously who's your favorite i'm partial to the wealthy gardener of course you know there's a caricature of all of those people in an author or else you can't write those things of course there's a jared in me who say i'm doing this but my actions don't look like what they should look like if i have a goal that's my jared character of course there's a jimmy in me who doesn't know how in the world he's going to get to where he really aspires to get to but you know what? Screw it. Get out of my way. There's enough ambition in me. I'll, I'll worry about that and I'll handle it myself. Get out of my way. So there's a Jimmy in me. Santos, there's a worker in me. I mean, I come from a work ethic here where you just put your head down and shut up. And uh, there's no question about that. But you know, there's a spiritual person in me. And I found that to be so true. You'll see a lot of that in that book that I don't see the distinction between spirituality and wealth. I think that if they can be the same exact thing. If you get it on purpose and you're serving other people, you get your mind straight. And I think 
that's what represents the the wealthy gardener to me. He's kind of always getting us closer to that that spiritual edge where there's so much demonization, at least in America. You think it's the engine in the world where everybody's like, I could tell you in our entertainment industry, we always put down me. It's always like the greedy people or the wealthy people. Yeah. We're always watching people. No, 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 no. I know a wonderful, amazing master yogis who are in big CEOs, you know? Yeah. Great people. And so I kind of needed the wealthy gardener to be my spiritual guy who didn't step over too far. He also understood how to get his hands dirty. Yes. He understood yes. the also the he didn't make the plants grow. And so that was a big theme in the book. Um, I've got a massive oak tree in my backyard. Huge. <laughs> <laughs> and it's often the bane of my existence. My husband and I often look at it and think, oh, my God, it's dropping more acorns. But I've got to say, <laughs> you're reading The Wealthy Gardener and you talk about acorns and the acorn tree and I have this newfound appreciation for my tree. <laughs> what was so special about that tree? Again, it's certainly not developed something that I come up with. I think The Wealthy Gardener, as you say, there's, there's a lot of quotes, a lot of people, a lot of learning. In that. That's, yeah, it's 30 years of my life, sure. It just comes out of you. You think it's your own idea, then you read one of those past books from a long, long time ago, and you say, oh, jeez, <laughs> I've been claiming that idea on my own. That's that's not my quote, really. <laughs> but jeez, the, the oak sleeps in the acorn. That's James Allen, you know? The bird uh, lays in the egg. They're just waiting. And so those were hard because there were spiritual chapters, you know? And so, man, oh, you see me writhe on the floor, and my son just laughs. He's, and uh I'm like, okay, because, you know, you can't preach to people. You So you speak in a metaphor. Yes. Everybody understands the fact that a, we don't we don't understand how that works, but there's a force there. We all see the fact that we stuffed this acorn in the ground, and by God, it, it always had that potential within it, even though it could sit there on my desk for 10 years. It's so hard to believe when you look at them all on the floor. It is. It's true. All those. There's acorns in every one of them. And then there's all of those acorns. In that acorn, it's the future potential of that. So, I don't know. I do. I, th I was just trying to get to a story that you could marvel at, have awe of, and speak of that force behind the scenes that helps the plants grow. And one of the things that um, I talk about with my clients when we're talking about creating content and putting your, I suppose, demonstrating your expertise online and sharing it with your industry and with the people that you work with and so forth about, you know, what you know. And you know so much at a certain bias, you know, by the time you're 40, you've got a lot, lot to share. But sometimes that we almost sort of get fearful of sort of putting ourselves out there and, and being judged and, and so forth. Did you have any of those sort of? 100%, Sarah. I didn't commit to this. I'll tell you the story. My son said, like, here I am. I'm going to tell you, teach you my lessons. Well, my protege came back and hit me hard. He slapped me with my own lessons, and he said, uh, "I'm like, I don't know, if I, I don't need this. Like, I, this is a lot of personal stuff that I put out there between you and I. That meant a lot to me. You know, the process every week. He and I going back and forth, father and son, editing this book forward, and it just there's meaning to that, regardless of anything else. I'm done. I'm happy. I'm fulfilled." And I said, well, he's, you know, now we're talking about the next step because, you know, okay, that kind of worked out, that whole storyline and everything. So I said, nobody's going to understand this, Mike. It's just like not where I come from. It's like the, the secret. Like when you live a, a life like we're speaking of, so much is done in private, behind yes. the scenes. They see you mow the lawn outside, but they don't see you uh, fall on your knees. They don't see you uh, have goal visualizations. They don't see you 
do things that's part of your secret life that I revealed through this book, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if I need this criticism. I, I, people are ruthless out there and nobody's going to understand. So he comes back to me and says, you know, Deb, you have this, uh, I have this wall of all these characters, the, the best biographies I ever read. And I try to take one major life lesson from the book, from each one. Okay. And that wall, those are my counselors, my wall of fame there. People that you emulate and they lived in such a way you want to be like that, hopefully. <laughs> or die trying, maybe. So he says, well, dad, you know, think about this. What would those guys in your wall say? If you were to quit now? Like, oh man. Yeah. Now what? Yeah. Now what? <laughs> so oh, kind of hypocritical for me to uh, stop and not do it. So yeah, I took the plunge and that was not easy. And yeah, to your point of Bob, the film rejected and criticized. I'm there again already. I haven't mastered this, even though the book has, is translated into 10 languages. I love your Australian publisher. It's fantastic. It was a success. I completely have a hundred percent fear that the next book is going to just be an absolute mess and not worth a reader's time. Absolutely. It's a motivating yeah, fear for me. Yeah. I suppose you wouldn't be human if you didn't feel like that sometimes, but. You know, you'd write a bad book, I think. You'd be a really arrogant person. Uh, you'd write a really a harsh book, probably a preaching book or I know it all book. And there's a lot of those in wealth. Sure that's not is. the kind of book I want. You know, yeah. I want to reach somebody's soul. And that's how you, you can live a really good life, a virtuous life and have a prosperous career. That's what we're after. And that's what I would like to have. I have one more book in me. I'm done. Fantastic. These things kill me. We can't wait for that one. Just on that. So we talk a lot about storytelling in the work that I do with clients and we, you know, we, we'll touch on things that have happened in our lives and how to create a story in order to share a message. That's something that you do just so well throughout your whole book. What's your favourite lesson or story, parable, either one? <laughs> of myself or in my own book? You mean? In your own book, yeah. A parable? I think I like the sculptor. It took me five years to read the book. Afterwards, I, I wow. didn't get through it afterwards. It's like, let me see what this is like. And it's like, wow, it's like written by another person, you know, because <laughs> yes, you yes. always change every five years, right? That, that whole concept. I really like that. The sculptor chipping away at a rock, chipping away at a rock. People question, what are you doing? You know, you could be doing so many different things in your free time. He's going to work. He's chipping away at a rock year after year after year. He's always kind of ridiculed. He's always got to keep his faith up. And he's, he knows he's got this vision inside. Hey, it's my vision. It's my ambition. I'm going to make this happen. I don't really need your approval. And he keeps on going and going and going. I, and I do see that there's such parallels to that sculptor parable to the way it really is. Live in that life that's really you, you know, like, and, and just really not asking for anybody's advice. And, you know, I don't really care if you don't understand. Maybe that's even better if you don't, because the inner oddball in me, that's who I am. Okay. Yeah. And the sculptor just goes out there and minds his own business and does it. And then finally there at the end, they say, how did, how'd you do that? He says, I just had to eliminate my self-doubts every day of my life. <laughs> and I swear to God, that's what it is. It's just all these like your own self-doubts. Yeah, we're our own yeah. worst enemy often, aren't we? Yeah, it's what's human. It's Because you don't see success the minute you do things. There's such a lag to it. Almost like the reality of life will give you a false impression that you're just going nowhere, no matter how hard you work. And it's just really easy to crush and fall and doubt at that time. So you have to make it through the lag until you start seeing some feedback. I love that. That's just so true, isn't it? And so often you don't see those results and you get so frustrated. And You never see them, quite <laughs> frankly. 
you know, go ahead and eat perfectly today. You think it's going to make a difference <laughs> this week? Oh, no, that one. it's going to only just take the ice cream away. Yeah. So there's nothing good that you're just happening <laughs> quickly. Everything happens slowly. So how do you stay motivated in those situations? I know you talk about this. Yeah. And I'm not going to tell you, to me, a big compelling why. It's the reason for your motivation. I mean, motivation doesn't just happen. What was my motivation? Uh, quite frankly, my kids. I'm not sure I would have done it without them. However, I don't want to say that the sculptor, let's get back to that, as the fitting analogy. I don't want to say that he was never rewarded because yeah. he did see it. He knew that David was in that rock, you know, to, he was picking away. He felt the enthusiasm that other people couldn't see. And that's what I would tell people is that, yeah, it looks like I'm at, you know, I might be describing a process where I'm saying, hey, dig a ditch to China, but I'm not. <laughs> if you're really that unmotivated, if you really don't want that enough, and if you have your why set up, there are other goals out there that can motivate us, you know, and other things to other pursuits. You're, you talk about professional career guidance. I mean, exactly what you're talking about, I'm sure. Sometimes the tree is planted in the wrong soil. It yeah. just is. Yeah, often. And sometimes a lot of people have really haven't really spent a lot of time thinking about their goals or thinking about their why particularly it amazes me actually I was listening to something it was a Bob Proctor thing the other day he was saying how only a small percentage I think it was like two percent of people actually have a goal a really clear goal and I think it was one percent actually have it in their pocket you know and, it and walk pains me sir it pains me you talk about uh like what you can do to not be trapped Nobody wants to be trapped. What you can do to, to enlarge that small life that you just, you're not quite content with and you kind of feel guilty for, for being a little discontent with that. You, you know, you feel guilty. I should be happy with what I have. It's a, well, by golly, man, put your eyes on goals for two minutes a day, every day of your life. Yep. Never. Yeah, I know. It's the smallest thing. It's the most important. Yeah, it is. And that brings me to the five-year crusade. I know we sort of touched on it a little bit before, but that's really powerful because some people will say, oh, I can't really think that far ahead or, you know, they sort of think to 15 years. So can you just expand on that a little bit? Now, I will say, Sarah, I hope I'm not plagiarizing some book I read in my past because I will say that it's possible, but I do say that that's mine. I always, always, always just saw it as a five-year crusade. And I have a picture, a visualization. It's in my mind. I always just knew that if you take it back, like this thing, when you're 17 years old, you're probably your last year of high school, go five years forward, 23, 22, where are you now? You're a whole different person. You either got through college, you're coming out into the world, you're not a high school kid anymore. You're unrecognizable. You might look the same, but you're a new person. Go 27 now, go out there. Another five years. All of a sudden, you've worked for five years. If this doesn't do it for you, take yourself backwards. Go from this day going back five years ago. What's that? 2000? Where are we here? 2023? That would yeah. take us back to 2018. My dad just died in 2000. It feels like forever ago. So every five years, every five years, you know, there's a saying that we overestimate what we can do in one year and it can discourage us. But man, we over underestimate what we can do in five years. There's nothing we can't transform in five years. I, I really think you change your career. You can change your location. You can change your debt. You can change like there is a lot of power to five years. And at the edge of this pier, I was saying that I have this picture of a pier out there and I have it. It just goes out into a very still pond, a pier that goes out to a pond. 
And what I love about this image is that, okay, there's not a what then it there at that point. Like you don't have to know. Don't waste your time. I mean, it's okay to have a big landscape goal, like a, a moonshot and all that, but get to the end of the five, man, because you're going to be a whole different person and change your mind anyway. There's enough work right there. Just get to the end of the five years. Stand at the edge of a pier. It looks like a big horizon. And then look around and congratulate yourself. Thank God I'm here. <laughs> That's how it that. works. That's very inspiring. Yeah, it's true, though. That's just how it always unfolded. Every five years was so absolutely different. If you progress. So you've got a new book coming out at some point. It's on the plan, yeah, which I'm sure will be a huge success. And you mentioned that before. Can you give us any sort of insider knowledge? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I tell you why I'm doing it. First of all, was it was asked for. I used to try to explain it, and it would be really difficult to try to have any kind of a skillful answer to what's the secret, what's the top three secrets. And I'm like, I'm trying to answer the unanswerable question. It's a nonsensical question because it's a way of life. Okay, it's just you have to just get into a rhythm that's a way of life that's very, very intentional where you don't waste time and you don't waste dollars. It's not that hard. We're not asking you to dig ditches, but you do have to be very intentional and accountable with those hours and with those dollars. And I think it's a lot easier than people think. I think that one of the big discouragements people don't embark on really going after a goal that's financially substantial that can really change lives is because it just sounds like, oh my God, I'm already so tired. Like, how in the world are you guys asking me to take on more? Yeah, I, don't yeah. have t I don't have time to go to the grocery store, let alone start a side business. And like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, back off, back off. <laughs> lower the resistance. And I do think that it's a lot simpler. If you ask me, it's simpler than a normal life. I've done both. Okay. I've done normal John and I've done wealthy John. I can tell you it's simpler. I do less in the wealthy life. I do more. I use more hours, but my focus is here and it's so less exhausting. I'm not chasing golf balls. I'm not watching TV. I'm not worried about money. I, all these things that are like background apps and the, that are taking your energy, they're not there anymore. You feel this wonderful sense of direction. That's energizing as well. Uh, so I wanted to explain that in a book with a system. Mm, that sounds fantastic. Will you touch on habits in there? 100%. I mean, because I do it. Again, what works, right? What's essential? What can you not not do? That's always been my question. What can I not not do? Because there's a million things you can do. Yes. But what's the essential? Yeah. One of the things I do every day, I wake up today. Now, people will talk about a, a vision board. They've talked and uh, sometimes. Now, what that's really, really important because that, that's just putting your eyes on a goal. It's just soft gazing, okay? You don't have to get yourself all steamed up, but it sets your mind. You know how you get into it? You, you, we always talk about intuition and inner voice and stuff like this, but that little devil can take us down the wrong roads and it can take us up the right roads. But I really believe, and I found in my own life, and I think I stole this one from Pasteur. Uh, Louis Pasteur said that intuition comes to those who prepare for it, the wise intuition. And that does it. If you put your eyes on something every day, how hard is it? I have a cup of coffee. I look at these things, a soft gaze. I look at these things every day. Number one. Number two, I go through the Napoleon Hill stuff, the reading, but I do it with an audio. I listen to it. Okay. Prioritize. I mean, we all know this stuff. Did we do our top three? Meaning what don't we do? That's really yeah. what we're after, right? Yeah. I'm an exerciser. So I can tell you this, that 
a little bit of aerobic ac- uh, exercise. You want to prevent burnout. People say, I, I don't, I can't take on anymore. I'm burned out with what I got. It's like, I've never seen a burnout exercise. Here. No, so, <laughs> that's have, very true. Mm. Never have I've seen a lot of burned out drinkers. I triathlete. I'm a triathlete. Think time and track. That's the other thing. Every day, you should be putting your mind on what you want and how, how, how. It's in my book, you know, as far as I could have not done it. You see, how can I, how, how can, ask yourself that question. I guarantee you, it'll come. But not if you say, I can't do it or can I do it? No, you, you don't never think that. You think, okay, how can I do it? It might be the most absurd thing in the world. Just keep your mind on it. You'll get solutions. You'll get ideas. You I mean, it's everything that I'm sure you're teaching. But in the end, man, you got to track it. You got to yeah. track what you do. How do you track it? Well, those things I just listed right there, if you, uh, they come out to spell impact, that's a big one. I do. It's like Benjamin Franklin. He, whenever Benjamin Franklin, he had the autobiography where he talked about his virtues. He puts a check mark and or, or a minus about how, you know, every day right there. It's just a checklist. All systems that work to change behavior in this world have some sort of accountability like that, uh, where you don't bash yourself over the head. But you don't self-deceive either, yeah. okay? Because we all do that. That's what I found, and especially when it comes to the hours that I give to writing. So, impact hours. I have to be accountable to what I do in a day. Uh, that's a big theme of the new book: is you are what you do. One of my frustrations, uh, Sarah, is that after the other book is like you said, it's, it's been received really well, and I'm thankful because I'd probably be. Uh, terrible alcoholic or something if it wasn't received really well, right? <laughs> but uh, one of the things I do see, especially with the younger crowd, is that they'll do a lot of the vision boarding and the goal setting and the meditation. But the hours aren't there. Yeah, that yeah. meditation. But the hours necessary to push a ball up a hill aren't there. Now, if you hate that work so much, maybe you need other work, but you need to find work that you will not mind spending time with. And you have to find a, a, a why. I mean, so think of purpose, not p- passivity in watching TV. Or am I in purpose today? That's, so I track the hours. We count the hours. And those have points to them. So and do you have, have like a target for the week? Is it sort of like, okay, you know, this is my target and this is how many I've done? Or Well, uh, back in the day, yeah, I was always about 60 to 65 hours of work a week. And I mean, and that's not... Keep in mind now, that's not all work. I mean, okay, so you and I right now, this is called work in our modern age. Yeah. We're talking to one another, okay? Like, we're, we're not digging a ditch. I always say that. You're not leaning. <laughs> there's, no, there's no sweat coming. People are allergic to the word work right now. And I want to just get that off the plate and say, okay, okay, let's not use that word. Let's just say purpose. Okay, I gave 60 hours a week to purpose. Okay, I, I threw the other 60 hours out the window. And I, I you don't have to think in those hours. So purpose hours, whatever, just look at it a little differently. I love that. But back in my day, I would do it that way. Yeah. So when do you think we'll be able to get our hands on that? How, do you have a, like a... Uh, okay. So this is the way, this is the way the, uh, the sculptor works. Um, I had planned to have it two years ago. I had, yep. it, I had professionally edited. I threw it in the trash. Right. I, wow. I did no, uh, manuscript number two, edited all that up. I threw it in the trash. Three, trash. I'm on four. Wow. Sarah, so I can't tell you. amazing. I can't tell. I don't know. Maybe it's just a weakness of mine. I mean, let's not throw that off the board where I have a perfectionist tendency that is actually inhibiting my work. Maybe that's like you talking about the person who doesn't want to put the blog out. Maybe this is just me. Let's not oversee the, our own weaknesses. And so, yeah, I struggle with all that as well, just like everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Perfectionism is definitely something that 
strikes high achievers. And is it fear? Is it the ambition? I don't know. Uh, but all I know is I, the world will never see it until I am completely satisfied. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I'll die we'll, with we'll it. We'll all be live, waiting with bated breath. So, John, where can people find you and connect with you? They can't find me, Sarah. I, I'm not. <laughs> well, I sort I'm of writing knew a that, book, but uh, you do have a great website. <laughs> I have I have a book. I'm trying. I'm, you're my only podcast this month. I don't want anybody to find me. No finding. I do have a website, and it does have my email on it. I do see the emails that come through. Uh, yeah, so they can I'm go nothing. there and get your. Yeah. Um, I need coached by you to how to socially do this, but because I don't want to right now. Yeah, <laughs> I'd be uh, more than happy to. I need um, a sacred no to a lot of things to finish this book. Yeah, you know, and that's one yeah. of them. Right. We will um, we'll all be waiting. So I'm really excited. And I know everyone will really enjoy this episode. Any final words for our listeners today? I always just say that, uh, you know, don't ever view the frustration as something wrong with you. I, I say that that is your greatest hope. So if you feel frustrated, if you feel like you're not where you want to be, if you're not content with your life, even though your life is good, God bless you. That's your greatest strength. Find out what that is. That's what I say. Uh, if I didn't use my discontentment, Sarah, I would be renting a house and I would be feel so bad that my kids went through college and uh, they had these huge debts and when they had troubles, I couldn't pay for them, all that. It was only due to my following my soul, my discontentment. So uh, I say that I'm supporting your misery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's God-given, okay? Use it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. It's just been amazing to chat to you. And we will be, yeah, all looking forward to that next book coming. I'll let you know. <laughs> I have no promises. <laughs> Thanks, Thank John. You. Thank you for listening. Hopefully you've learned something from this episode that's going to help you make actionable changes in the way you approach your career. If you liked today's episode, make sure to rate, review and share this with a friend. And as always, see you next time.